We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's the True Faith Newcastle United podcast. This is a conversation uh, from myself, Alex, and Sai with Craig Hope of the Daily Mail. Uh, Craig very kindly has been joining us for a couple of years now on our Patreon platform, so you can hear Craig fairly regularly on that. There's a link in the description to this podcast. It's £8 a month for that tier. would love to uh, have you along with us and support this podcast and keep it going. Um, we talk in this podcast about Newcastle United's difficult January transfer window, uh, financial fair play and expectations for the rest of the season. Many thanks to Craig for his time in joining us. I'll, uh, I'll let you get on with the show after a couple of adverts. This podcast is brought to you by Aspers Casino Newcastle, home of the £4 pint on match day. That's all Newcastle home games and any televised Newcastle fixture. The offer applies from midday until midnight on all draft beers. Be gamble aware, over 18s only. Visit begambleaware.org. Uh, be drink aware and for details and T's and C's, visit aspersnewcastle.co.uk. Craig, thanks for joining us. It's really good to see you in person. Uh, I suppose the first place to start is Newcastle United. Uh, as we have been talking to you on these podcasts over the last few years, it's all been pretty rosy since yep. October 2021. Do the club now find themselves in crisis on and off the pitch, in your view? We'll deal with on the pitch, first of all. I would say no, I wouldn't stretch as far as the word crisis. I've been a journalist in this club for, covering this club for the best part of 10, 11 years now. I've witnessed crisis and this isn't it. You know, I've been through Steve Bruce, I've been through Steve McLaren. So no, are they in a sticky patch? Yes, absolutely. Could the season get worse before it gets better, if indeed it ever does get better. Well, yeah, I, I think there is a, a real risk of that for a number of reasons. But I wouldn't, the reason I would guard against the word crisis is because they've got Eddie Howe as manager, they've got some very good players, they've got ambitious owners, they've got a supporter base which is united with all of the above. So, so no, I, I, I would really shy away from, from crisis, but that doesn't mean there aren't elements on the pitch that we can look at and, and pick apart in terms of should the team be performing performing better than what, better than what they are? And I, I think the answer to that is yes. And, you know, we look at Newcastle's most recent game as the, the most recent body of evidence as to, to answer your question. And I thought, and I wrote this in the Daily Mail on Monday, it almost captured perfectly what makes Newcastle so good and right now what makes Newcastle so bad. What makes them so good is that, yes, it was a fourth defeat on the spin, but it was so unrecognisable from the previous three. The previous three, and this is a criticism of a man I am very reticent to criticise, I thought Eddie Howe sent them out almost to get beat 
in the previous three. I know that that sounds ridiculous, but there was an, ine an inevitability about it. Bearing in mind how low they were on energy, bearing in mind that you know, it was never, they were so low and so depleted. How he sent them out to play against Luton, against Liverpool, certainly, it was never really going to end anything other, anything other than defeat for me. Then you looked at that on Saturday, and it was totally different. It was the Newcastle of old, only to a point, by the way, only for the first 50, 55 minutes, I would argue. But nonetheless, I said after the Sunderland game, you can lose to Manchester City. This game was more about the performance and seeing a reaction and seeing signs of positivity that they that they turned partially turned a corner. Now, I wrote again after Sunderland that it was almost like a raid on a drugstore, that game. It was like Newcastle had gone down to Sunderland and they topped up on everything that made them feel good about themselves. Could they take that on the back of a full week of training, the first full week of training for a long time, and that's when Eddie's at his best, Monday to Friday, and you see it on a Saturday, could they take that into Manchester City? And the answer was an emphatic yes. Could they do it for 90 minutes? No, and we'll get to the reasons as to why. But I certainly saw more to be encouraged about than concerned about on Saturday because a lot of the concerns are pre-existing concerns but I saw a difference in terms of that application that intensity that energy around them that excitement you know I, I, I go with that word excitement I thought before the Sunderland game the players had almost looked mentally bored and fatigued with what it was they were being asked to do they were like lemmings going over the edge of a cliff they knew the outcome they'd seen that show before on Saturday and that felt different it felt as if they were buying into each other a little bit more. And I thought for, for an hour, they were fantastic. This against the best team in the world. So to come out of the game angry with them and, and to, to, to criticise, I, I didn't get that at all. That doesn't mean I won't pick apart the reasons as to why the letter winning position go to a, to a losing one. And fundamentally, yes, there's the, the massive mitigation of the bench and not being able to change things. But the frustration of the conceded the same goal again and how long have we been talking about this same goal now? Even though Kevin De Bruyne comes on and he's a wonderful player who can influence things, the unforgivable element of it is that for his goal, he was stood in no man's land. And I call it no man's land because no man in black and white ever <laughs> bloody leading well goes there between the midfield and the defence. And we've been talking about this not for the last three or four. It's come to prominence in the last three or four weeks. Go back to my video after Aston Villa on the first weekend of the season when they won 5-2, by the way, and everyone was caught in the euphoria. I highlighted it then. They had a problem in the sixth position. Down at Brighton. You know, they went to Brighton. Everyone was fit. There's no excuse for injuries. Number six, and that midfield weakness has been a problem even with a full complement of players. So the frustration... 20-odd games later in terms of the Premier League campaign is that it's still there and they're actually allowing the best midfielder in the league to stand in that hole. So that is the, the frustration and the point of criticism from Saturday. But overall, overall, how did I walk away from St. James's Park feeling and thinking I saw reason to be optimistic going forward? Because if they play like that against the majority of teams, don't forget this is the best team in the world, they'll win more matches than they'll, than they'll lose. I think um, it's it's hard to disagree with Nelly. Everything you said there, Craig. Uh, this is there's two things about the Man City performance in particular. One, um, you, you, the, that hole that exists that we've been talking about four months. You're right. Um, the fact that we've got no bench by definition means you've got the same eleven players that you've been playing for weeks and weeks and weeks. So one, that means the opposition kind of knows how you're going to play. And it's, I don't know what you're going to say, Sean Longstaff. You're going to play six today. It's not his game. He's not. He doesn't really put in tackles. We noticed that more than anything on on Saturdays that Sean Longstaff can run around and do a lot of donkey work and that worked perfectly last season because that's all we needed, someone to tire out the opposition and and, and fill, plug those small gaps that we left when we were much higher up the pitch. When it's the other way around, when we're spending most of the game in our half, I don't think Longstaff 
is very effective at all. So we've got the same players playing every game, very predictable. And um, yeah, it, it, it's two things. It's it's being, they, they can't play any other way because they've got this 11 players who all have a position and a very a well-rehearsed Eddie Howe position yeah. and they all know what they're supposed mm-hmm. to be doing. So I kind of understand why Eddie's gone, right, same again, lads. We've had a week to prepare and we did play a lot better. Um, I don't know why that game would have been the one to start changing things around and start trying to try different formations, albeit, yes, you're right, we did get the same result, but I agree with what you said at the start. We got the same result in kind of a different way because yeah. the performance yeah. was there and it was a lot more to do with, for me, the fact that Manchester City just just overpowered us in the end. And you've got to keep remembering that this team of players, most of Newcastle United starting 11 that game, don't walk anywhere near a top three side. You know, uh, Dan Byrne, Longstaff, Lewis Miley, um, you know, some of these players have got bright futures. Anthony Gordon, Miggy. I don't think any of those get anywhere near an Arsenal, uh, a Liverpool mm. or, a, or a Man City. So ultimately, Eddie Howe has had these players playing well above their station for for years. And that's not based on weeks of training and, yeah. and preparing for each game. And it, it nearly worked on Saturday. It nearly did. We, we, we battered Manchester City for that 20 minute period before halftime. And it's a shame. And Anthony Gordon said after the game that he said we weren't that kind of, the plan was to keep doing that, to go for another 15 minutes. And it just didn't didn't come off. So, yeah, I, I've I said it on Saturday night I, I, or Sunday when we recorded, um, and I'll say the same. I don't think that game was the one to get worried about in terms of where the season's going. I thought we were fine. I thought it was a positive step. And what you said there about all we had to do is get a performance out of the game, get it out of the way, and then get to the next one, which is Fulham, which is huge, huge, huge. It's interesting points, lads. And I, I think you. Um are both reflecting the majority opinion. I think most Newcastle fans are okay with losing 3-2 at home to Manchester City. It's not a disaster performance. It's not a disaster result. If you look at where Newcastle were post Nottingham Forest and the fact you had Liverpool, Manchester City and Aston Villa as the next three league games, plus a derby in there against Sunderland, winning the derby in emphatic fashion and then putting, you know, as critical as I was of Newcastle's defensive performance against Liverpool, they were in the game on 70 minutes clearly in the game on 70 minutes and, and, and lots of people wouldn't have expected that they were in the game right until the end against Manchester City the only kind of football fan part of me that hates that is like I used to talk about Newcastle in those terms it was like oh, oh we, st- we stayed in the game it's really it's really sad that these these records that how and the players have accumulated and were so impressive so they hadn't lost back-to-back home games under him since mm. he's been here and that's gone now so for the first time um that's disappeared and Craig, you, you've been very good on, well, generally, but on this podcast as well for our listeners. I think you're probably one of the first people out there to question Newcastle's summer transfer mm. window. Do you think that question is now settled, that the, the, the effects of or what we see right now... What, that I was right? That you were right, and, <laughs> and that Newcastle's summer transfer window did not prepare them for the, the, the manic season ahead? Well, I used the phrase, and this was back in October time, I think, uh, and this was on the back of me questioning the summer business for, for a good number of weeks. I used the phrase cryptocurrency and Newcastle acting like a big club from a, a, a position of false strength almost. And what I meant by that was, and by the way, 24 hours later, they went and beat Man United at Old Trafford with the cryptocurrency <laughs> on the field. And I got absolutely battered. But anyway, no, I doubled down at the time. And the, the reason I go back to that is, for me, in the summer, Newcastle achieved what they did totally against the odds. They didn't do it as a, as a pumped-up, super-powered Saudi club. They did it almost on similar to what Aston Villa are doing this year, 
with players, as you quite rightly said before, Si, if you strip away the system and everything is good about Newcastle, and if you look at their CV to a degree, they're not Champions League players. They achieved what they did because of Eddie Howe. And the presence of the Saudis and Saudi ownership and all the noise around it, for me, almost distracted from the incredible job he did in taking that group of players from 19... Uh, from 19th in the table to, to fourth in the table. So to a degree, what they achieved last year was an illusion. But in this summer, and the, the recruitment got them, the recruitment was brilliant and it got them to that position. In this summer, I think they took their eye off the ball and they acted like an established top four club, buying luxuries. Like, and I'll put Tino Livermento in there. Tino Livermento is wonderful. He's going to be a tremendous player. Has he been in the isolation of this season? No, he was a luxury. Lewis Hall, goodness me, that is way beyond that. They still won't play him. They wouldn't play Livermento for the first three weeks of the season. The big ticket player was Sandro Tonali, £52 million. Okay, fair enough. The issue with Tonali is he came in and the narrative around him very quickly changed to being someone who needed time, who would be good for a year exposed to Eddie Howe, to the Premier League, to the training methods, everything else a year to adapt. Newcastle weren't in a position to spend a big ticket £52 million on a player who needed a year. The one sign that I can actually get on board with is Harvey Barnes. He was a Premier League player. The numbers were there. He was someone who, someone who could come in and impact. The issue I've got with Barnes is they signed him in the one position. The player I was seeing all summer, who we all could see being away with Newcastle in America, talking to him, watching him play, watching him play at the Euros, is the one player we knew was going to hit the ground running this year. The one player we knew was going to be a star, and that was Anthony Gordon. They signed Harvey Barnes in that position. So that's my problem with that deal. My problem with Hall and Livermento is, goes back to that word cryptocurrency. Why on earth did Newcastle think they could buy players for tomorrow from that position? They had to buy players for today. They cheated. They got a leg up. They got one in front. They cheated FFP because of the job Eddie Howe did. What they had to do this year to maintain that momentum, to stay ahead of FFP, was do everything in their power to be a Champions League club again. And that meant buying for now. Not for tomorrow. There was a group of 15 players played almost every game last season and they were tremendous. They went again and again and again. They had to buy players to help that group and they didn't. They didn't. Tonali came in, had a wonderful debut, then didn't play very well. Very quickly found himself out of the team. He didn't help. Harvey Barnes couldn't get in the team ahead of Anthony Gordon before he got injured. The other two, they just wouldn't play them. And that reached ahead after the game down at Wolves. And that's what I wrote the cryptocurrency article on the back of when I was like, goodness me, you've committed the best part of £60 million to these two young players. You're crying out for help down at Wolves and you, you, you won't bring them on. So I just think, I use that phrase, I think they took the eye off the ball. For me, they had to be pragmatic and they had to buy four players who would come in and impact now and alleviate that and you know the injuries as well right injuries are bad luck haven't been bad luck but is it not a consequence of the same group of players from last season going again at the start of this season see that's the physical element i think i said this to you as well size well you know with the signings there's one the physical alleviation of that that stress and that burden on the players who went last year it's also mental you know when you've got someone else comes in and it, it just gives it gives those players there something different to think about. You know, that, that, that competition. And I think the players who came in didn't do enough to unsettle and to trouble those who were already there. Anthony Gordon, okay, Barnes was there, but Gordon would have looked at that and thought, well, probably better, you know. I, I, you know, Yes, he's coming. That might have aided him, but I think Gordon is better than Barnes. 
Tonali came in and was clearly not the level of Bruno. So Bruno doesn't really, Bruno hasn't had his wings clipped. He would agree because he's, he's still better than that, that player. And the other two just didn't impact. So that's my, my argument with regards to the summer business. Uh, I've said it since pretty much week two or week three. Uh, and, you know, I stand by and I do think we're seeing the consequence of that now. It's an interesting one, isn't it, about the injuries because, like you said, Sai, you know, we talked on the podcast and lots of Newcastle fans have said he should have brought Jamal LaSalle on and gone five at the back and it's like, it's our man City was Pep Guardiola going to be going, oh no, he's, he's brought Jamal LaSalle on and got five at the back <laughs> here, lads. We, let, let, let's change our plans because of this master plan by Eddie Howe. We're kind of just looking for things he could have done because it went wrong. And, you know, Jamal LaSalle's is... I think Newcastle have been lucky this season in the respect that Jamal LaSalle's came in and Lewis Miley have come in and performed at a level probably, mm. I imagine, no one thought they would be able to and contributed in a way no one thought they'd be able to. If those two had come in and done badly, where where would we be kind of thing? But I, I'm just a bit concerned. It's, it, it's, a, it's a slight concern, Craig, but after that Bournemouth game, this is the issue. We played that Bournemouth game, lost 2-0, and that was the first performance under how maybe since like Leicester away in the first season where they just went away from home. I want Man City away as well. But, you know, to a, to a non-premium team and just got absolutely annihilated. Yeah. But Bournemouth could have scored five or six that day. And Kieran Trippier goes up to the away end and says, these lads are knackered. And we're all like, okay, we've been to Dortmund through the week, mm. but they did okay. Um, they didn't get humiliated or anything like that. We've got injuries. We're going to get players back. Harvey Barnes is due back against Man United. Mm. Um, Joe Willock had just come back. There was there was kind of reasons to be positive, and underneath in one of our on, on this show, uh, underneath or one of our uh, YouTube podcasts, a Bournemouth fan wrote, uh, "Absolutely love how, um, but I've seen that performance before from mm. away from home, and I've seen his comments about injuries before. And do you think that ultimately Newcastle are top of the injury league table because we can only play one way, and how only has a plan A, no plan B?" And that, that is feeding into the injury crisis because we thought the injury crisis was bad in mid-November. We're now in mid-January mm. and it's even worse. It hasn't seemed to get better at any point. And you have lads coming back and people are talking about Jacob Murphy. Should he have come back on when he had a dislocated mm. shoulder a few days previously or a week previously? Uh, Joe Litton comes back on in the second half against Sunderland and now could be out for the season. Mm. Joe Willett comes back and gets another serious injury and I'm probably forgetting about more. Some fans are looking at how for the injury crisis. Do you think it's just, you know, he's doing everything he can with a limited group or do you think there's something that the club needs to look at and think if we had our time again, we would do things better? No, I don't think you can say he's got to change his style of play to safeguard against injuries. You know, I wouldn't go along with that. I'd go back to my previous answer in terms of they had to buy four players to, to lighten the load and to be able to come in and play now. I think that, you know, I, I, I won't deviate from that. In terms of the, in terms of the style of play, does it, you know, is it ideal? And players are trying to come back in; they've got to go back in that system. And Eddie Howe, is it? It's probably not ideal to answer your question. Is it? Eddie Howe is a manager who is built on repetition, on muscle memory. You do something so often and so well, and it's, it's such a level from Monday to Friday, then again on a Saturday that it becomes second nature. Can you guys see it now? When we're sat in the press box you can see the patterns of play unfolding in front of you. The underlap, the overlap, when a certain player gets the ball, you know who's going to go. Everything is there in front of you. And that has been 
that's been so successful. It's got them so far. But what I would say in slight criticism of Eddie is he continued to play like that even when it was clear he didn't have the tools to do that. I think there had to be more... During that run of the seven defeats and eight, there had to be more of a pragmatic approach where Eddie said, you know what, even though I'm a manager who is so wedded to my beliefs and believes in muscle memory and repetition and familiarity, I've got to do something different here. And he didn't. And he didn't. In the games down at Luton... You know, I've said this before, I think. I said it to you, Si. I, walked in, I didn't go to Luton. And I walked into the pub on Grey Street to meet my mates for a Christmas drink. And they said, why are you not at Luton? You do. You do every game. I said, I know the result. I said, I know the result. And there was just... I used the, I think I used the word earlier, didn't I? Inevitability during that period that they were going to, they were going to lose games. Even the Forest game for me wasn't a, wasn't a massive surprise. They're in such a, such a, such a bad place during that period. And Eddie's failure, refusal, whatever you want to call it, to change the system and be more pragmatic. I think, I think that did cost them in terms of would a put put that on injuries? Probably not. No. Just to finish this part. Um, I think there's an element of bad luck. It begets bad luck. I think the the injuries actually, if you look back at when they all occurred, they kind of came before the fixture crunch started. You know, you could have allowed for some injuries to take place after we'd started playing three games a week, but the things like Barnes, Tonali all happened before the, the season really got going. And then that kind of already limited your options. So you're running players in the ground and then the injuries kept coming. I don't think that was ever part of the plan. I think that was genuine bad luck. The nature of Barnes's injury in particular, Burn and... And Murphy, very, very unique freak injuries. Probably should have allowed for the fact that one of Botman or Cher were going to get an injury and they both got one. Um, probably should have allowed for the fact that the centre-forwards, both who've had injury problems the previous season. Those are mistakes. But in terms of the transfer business, for me, I think it is still pretty bad luck. I, I, I take your point about Tonali. He started well, then went off a cliff. But did he go off a cliff because he knew this was thing was hanging over him? Maybe. Probably, probably. It's really hard to say that Tonali was playing badly or it was he just... Was his mind just not there from the moment that this stuff started to come? Barnes, I totally agree. Should have been should have been the answer to kind of just options off the bench and giving us a bit more respite and not playing Anthony Gordon ninety minutes three mm. games a week. That was the plan. I don't understand how a bloke breaks his toe and then misses six months of a season. It's getting beyond ridiculous. Yeah. He hasn't broken his toe; it's an injury underneath well, his toe. But yeah, anyway, it, that's yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. simplifying it. But you, you yeah, know yeah. what I mean. Um, I, I kind of agree that the young lads, in hindsight, hindsight's a wonderful thing. Livermento, who looks like a brilliant player, but what was the plan from this season? Because we had two established, an established back four. Um, Matty Target at the start of the season was would have been available, so we didn't mm. need a left back at all, really. Um, turns out we did. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a funny one, but you're right. Livermento will be an excellent player, but I kind of understand now that we've got we've reached January and there's all this talk of how FFP is hamstringing us to death. It does make you wonder why we we spent the extra money or committed the extra money for for Hall. Mm. So I'd agree with that. But ultimately, I think um, we're, we're using hindsight quite a lot here. I was still I was happy with the transfer business at the time. I think the season has just gone in a direction that no one could have predicted. And yes, some of that stuff could have been mitigated. Some of that stuff could have been planned for a bit better. But I think I'd, it, it sounds like a cop out. But the bad luck really is where why we are where we are, and maybe some maybe the only thing that they probably hadn't anticipated, and it wasn't so much the fact that these players had been running at the ground, but for me, they were never a team that, as we said before, they're not top four players, and that no. form was going to dip off at some point, so they haven't recaptured it, we haven't hit that momentum that we did last season, and that was never going to happen, so um, they must have accepted that the season was going to be tough. As soon as that Champions League draw happened, and we had those six ridiculous fixtures to, to mix in with the rest... 
they must have really worried about how are we going to pick up momentum? Because last season was all about momentum. It was all about getting the, the group of lads who are, you know, mid-table, good premiership players, but um, they got momentum, they got confidence and just started to win games for fun. Blowing teams much better than them out the water. That we can't do that this season. We can't because we're not just, just not building that chance of not preparing for the game. So I don't know. Transfer-wise, we probably you're probably right. We probably should have added some more Premier League experience, but equally... How could you plan for some of the stuff that has, has happened? I, I want to um, get on to that, how, you know, Premier League experience, signings things in part two of the show. But just really quickly for what you just said there, what you've just said gives me hope for the rest of the season, even though I've put some fairly negative questions out there. Because <laughs> if you look at Newcastle's season last year, they had an indifferent part, then a brilliant run to the World Cup, then an indifferent return from the World Cup, and then a brilliant end nearly to the end of the season and they won one of the last five. So they basically had two runs of 10 games mm. where they won nearly every single game. And that's like the season. And so they didn't have to be perfect all season. And that's the thing, they weren't perfect all season. When they were good, they were too good for everyone else almost. And they, they, you know, I think one run apart from the Villa defeat was eight wins in nine. And I think it was something like nine wins in 12 in the, in the lead up to that. Um, well, I think that includes the Leicester game after the, the, the World Cup break. So there's... Um, there's 17 wins for you. There's your season. And, and I feel like, I'm not saying we're going to do that in the second half of this season, but if we get everyone fit, if everyone comes back in form, we've got eight away games left and only three of them are against top 10 sides, I think, even though we're pretty terrible away from home. Um, if, you, if you look at who we've got to play at home, Man City, Liverpool and Arsenal have all gone. Uh, Man United, you know, a lot, of, a lot of the better sides have gone. So in terms of fixture lists, it's not actually looking that bad for the rest of the season. I just wanted to say that. It's not that important to the overall part. But, but, but the, the ifs you gave there, Alex, are two huge ifs. You said if everyone comes yeah. back and everyone's mm. in form. Because I said, that, we talked about this before we came on air, didn't we? There was this narrative after the Bournemouth game that, oh, well, they've got a break now. You know, there's players coming back to fitness. And I said at the time, they might well come back, but others will drop out. You know, they're in such a rut now in terms of, as soon as the, 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 the guys never actually even came back to fitness. You know, the injury situation now is arguably worse than it was than it was post Bournemouth, and what's to say that would be any different in two weeks' time? Because again, we've touched on this: the nature of the a lot of the injuries is recurring, and that 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 is the frustration in terms of the. And I know there's been some disquiet inside in terms of initial diagnosis. There's been a little bit of tension between certain players and medical staff as well. So so all is not well. I, I don't think as much as the the saying on the outside anyhow is is going along with this this story of bad luck and misfortune. And I agree, some of the injuries have been freak. I honestly think on the inside. They're looking at this, and certainly I know one or two players are, and wondering why, you know? It, we've seen with Joe Linton. Even Joe Linton now has gone from apparently in the, the, the 48 hours after Sunderland not being too bad to within 10 days he's missing the rest of the season. So, uh, On that injury table currently, at the top you have Arsenal and Newcastle, and at the bottom you have West Ham and Everton. And I, I think it's got to be, I'm not saying Eddie Howe, I agree with you, Eddie Howe shouldn't change his playing style to mitigate injuries in the future but also Newcastle just do so much running they just do so they do so much hard running as well put their bodies on the line that as a fan you do feel when players are brought back quickly you know it probably does take a hell of a lot of time to get up to speed with the fitness of the rest of the mm. squad and Anthony Gordon came in last January and said that that he just wasn't fit he'd been playing for, for all season for Everton he comes into Eddie Howe's Newcastle and he's just not match fit so mm. th there is something in it but ultimately as a fan anyway and I appreciate you're not coming from a fan perspective Craig you are you, you do just think well look's got a turn and I, I suppose I have to finish part one of the show in a sec but I suppose the final question to you is how do you think how was dealt with all this because 
Sarri mentioned bad luck. You know, he's been in football a long time. There's probably a lot of things he's seen already. He had a, mm. his, his relegation season at Bournemouth was, was just one long injury hit campaign. Um, do you think he's coped with this all right? How's he, how's he looked from inside the press box? Yeah, how's he been with us? He's been the same as he's always been, really calm, really level. I think the only time I've seen him on the, I wouldn't go as far as on the ropes, but pre-Derby, when he was asked the question for the first time in the room with those guys, he was asked the direct question about his future. And you could just see then, it was a little bit, you know, it, it, it took him back. And I don't think he really expected the the narrative and the line of questioning to go there. But I think it, it was right to ask the question. You can't lose seven games in eight and, and, and you know, that not be put to you. Uh, the responded at Sunderland professionally, brilliantly, you know, that bought Eddie a lot of, uh, I was going to say goodwill, you know, the, the goodwill was there already, then the performance against Manchester City. And I think as well, you know, guys from the outside of, of the region are looking in and they're looking to, to podcasts like this and to, to people like myself, and there's no panic. There's no Steve Bruce coverage, you know. It's all calm. It's all patient. We're making, you know, we're shining a light on the mitigation, even though we do pick a, the the reasons beneath that. I think I think Eddie's fine, you know, and we sit, we're so lucky to sit down opposite him, you know, two or three times a week and you get a real feel for whether you've got to go after a manager or not. And I've went after one or two. And I'm so far away from ever thinking that this guy is the wrong guy. It doesn't mean I won't, like I have done in the, the previous half hour here, pick apart some of his decisions and, and things that he does. But ultimately, he is the right manager. And the word from above is patience, calm, understanding. And as a journalist, I hope I'm reflecting that in my coverage because that is how I feel as well. We'll leave it there for part one of the show. There are a couple of adverts coming up. If you want to listen to this podcast without any adverts at all, join us on Patreon. Link in the description. It's only £3 per month for the tier with all of the free podcasts without adverts or even me referencing them. Back after these. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So for part two of the show, Craig, I want to talk about the transfer window, the January transfer window this time. And uh, whenever... In fact, any club at the minute, but particularly Newcastle United, are mentioned in 
January incomes, financial fair play or profit and sustainability rules as they're now known uh, comes to the forefront both amongst fans, social media, privately, but also now kind of every day on Sky Sports News are talking about these things, whereas like this time last year, mm. they wouldn't touch on, on, on anything like this. And it's been a really quiet window across the Premier League. Newcastle United are knackered. They've got um, loads of injuries. They've got their star signing. Uh, Sandra Tonali is not going to play again this season. It would seem if there was ever a transfer window to try and change the way things are going, that this would be the window to do it mm. for Newcastle United. In addition, I can't remember exactly who said it, so I don't want to put words in Amanda Stavely's mouth, but someone high up at the club, whether it was Stavely, whether it was Eels, or whether it was Ashworth, said a couple of years ago that they want to be active and improve the first team in every single transfer window. Now, mm. the transfer window is, is not even halfway through yet, and Newcastle have done some famous late business in January under this ownership, which is been very very good overall for the football club so they deserve from a fan's perspective uh, patience and understanding but the interview that you did with Darren Eels uh, the other week and also lots of other noises coming from the club or that financial fair play is a massive issue mm. for Newcastle United so considering that we have heard from Dan Ashworth that they look at transfers one mm. two years and cycles ahead considering that there was that comment about wanting to improve the first team uh, every single transfer window what's gone wrong how come we're now at the limit of of ffp where it we know why it wasn't an issue when the owners came in mm. but it does seem strange to a lot of fans anyway that the club seem skint yeah. if not in terms of cash in terms of the being at that limit of what allowable losses yeah well this is multi-layered and i'll take you back to november we sat down with dan ashworth at the training ground and primarily it was for dan ashworth to front up and talk about sandro tonali and everything that had happened to give Eddie Howe a break from, you know, the, the bombardment of weekly questions that we were putting his way. But on the back of talking about Tonali for 15, 20 minutes, we then spent another half an hour talking about all manner of things Newcastle United. And one of, part of that was the January transfer window. I remember at the time, Dan said, there is scope to do something in January. So you ask yourself the question, what has changed between whatever it was, late October, early November, and now? Because coming into this window... All the noises from every source you talk to with regards to Newcastle United was they've got no money. It was going as far as to say no money, no money to do anything. It will be loans only. So what has changed? Well, they've, they've fallen out of the Champions League, for starters. At the time when we spoke to Dan Ashworth, I think the odds were still in favour of, of, of qualifying for the last 16. So there's a removal of at least £20 million, plus if you look at the draw, you know, I think Newcastle probably would have fancied themselves to get past Real Sociedad. I know this is a benefit of hindsight, but you know, at least £20 million and everything else that comes with being in the, the last 16 of the Champions League. So that has changed. They've fallen from fifth in the table and looking like a team who probably potentially were on course to, to, to maintain that, you know, that, that, that membership of the top six, potentially even if they could cling on to fifth being a Champions League club again. So... The landscape has completely changed, even in the isolation of the last six or seven weeks. And I almost think there's a feeling of, and there's, I think there's two elements to this. One, they don't want to throw good money after bad in terms of this season. And they're just looking at it and thinking, well, do you know what? A lot of what we wanted to achieve this season has perhaps gone. So what are we ultimately throwing money after? If they'd been through the last 16 in the Champions League and they were still fifth or sixth during this injury crisis, I honestly think they would have spent... I think they would have spent for two reasons. One, because there would have been a guarantee of more money coming in. And two, because there was a reason to spend money. What are they spending money for for now? I think the top four, the top five is gone. I really do. Is that that much of a thirst and that much of a need to be 
a Europa League or a Conference League club. I think that that's a, a, a different debate I had uh, to have. And also, as, as well, you know, FFP is real. You know, it, it, it is real. I spoke about it in the summer and I got so much so much stick in terms of the, the noises then about the budget. But in the end, it turned out not to be far wrong. You know, I was told, told there was a budget of £75 million was scoped to go to £100 they had a net spend of just under under 100 million pounds. You know, what these guys have been telling us all along, it, it does exist. FFP is there. We spent the time with, with Darren last week. He he talked us through it. And uh, yeah, but, but, but I'm going to contradict myself here to a degree. But I also think a lot of the noises we hear is a game of brinkmanship. And I wouldn't be at all surprised if at the very end of the window, they still did do something, certainly in terms of a, what could be classed the, an expensive loan, a loan like Calvin Phillips. So I don't think they're as skint as they, as they make out. There is scope to, to do something, but but I don't think we'll be seeing 30, 40 million pound signings uh, this window for all the reasons I've just listed. Interesting to me that they sold Chris Wood this time last year, uh, allegedly what I read, you know, uh, some journalists said, I can't remember whether you wanted them. Eddie Howe didn't want to lose them. Mm. And they're still in the same position now where they've got two strikers who can't stay fit. And if they sold Chris Wood only to satisfy financial fair play, and, that, and mm. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, I'm not saying they shouldn't have done it. But it is interesting, that I, I would like to be in the mind of Eddie Howe to kind of feel how he feels. How, I mean, like you said, all managers have to work under the parameter and be used to it. But it does just feel like there's been a bit of a change in terms of direction, for, not direction, but noises we hear from the club, if it's not just brinkmanship, which it might be. Mm. You know, from, you know, we're going to compete for the Premier League title in five to ten years, that just looks, if not impossible, it looks like a hell of a challenge from a financial fair play mm. perspective, a hell of a challenge for, for reasons we might talk about. Uh, like you said there, do they want to be in the Europa Conference? next season do they, do they look at Spurs this season Arsenal last season and think only Castle last season and think actually you've got a better chance of being in the Champions League without being in yeah. Europe than than playing Thursday Sunday though Aston Villa are doing a good job of it this season and also Chelsea are a good example of a team everyone thought yeah, would yeah, be yeah. would benefit from it this season and haven't uh, the, could get to a, a League Cup final it's um it's just really interesting and, and it's like there's a little bit of a disconnect on the journey because everything went, was going so well you know transformative season last season uh, remarkable finish in the top four. Off the pitch, you then have a similar journey with a new front of shirt sponsorship, um, announcement of the Adidas deal, other commercial partners kind of coming in. Uh, the financial results that were released um, last week had a 40% increase mm. on turnover last year, and that's before those deals that I've just mentioned come into play, plus several others. So it's not like the club aren't generating more revenue. They, they clearly are. I don't know, Sai, whether you agree or not. I just, something's just, unless, it, you know, I have to caveat again, if it's Brinkmanship, fair play, that's, you know, well well done, Newcastle United. <laughs> we'll, we'll just get ready for it next year. Mm. Everyone will get a little bit more sceptical about the, the Eels interviews and the, the noises that come out because they're just trying to knock a couple of million quid or 20 quid a, a week off a wage bill. But do you feel, Sai, as a fan, that, you know, the journey was so straightforward to us as fans anyway that we were just going to get better and better and better. We we're going to sign better and better footballers and now it looks like we, you know, it's not just based on what the club are saying. They've released their financial results, maybe again, released them intentionally in January um, for this purpose. But to say, you know, we've lost, we've lost 70 million quid plus the last two set of financials, financial accounts. How are you going to be able to, 
match what Liverpool do in the transfer window in the summer, match what Man City do, match what Arsenal do, and once again, is financial fair play, as a lot of fans seem to be saying, the, the reason that the haves will remain the haves and the have-nots are the have-nots. As, as much as I'd like to believe that there's another £60 million unexpected signing coming this month, I don't think it will. I don't think it will. Um, it is, it's a tough one, and I kind of Craig, Craig made the point I was going to make, which is, what, what is the point of paying £20 million more for a player now for this season when you could just wait till the summer and, and get mm. a better deal? And I, I do understand that thinking, and I do understand the logic of, I agree, the Champions League's gone this season. I, I, think, I think we can turn the season around. I think we can kick on and, and get ourselves back on track. But I think getting back in the top four mm. is, is a big, big ask. And, and who knows if fifth would have been enough. But um, So it, it's probably a case of, right, Eddie, you're not under any pressure You've got the FA Cup to aim for, and you've got to just try and finish as high up the league as you can. But that's it. We're not gonna we're not gonna spend now to to give you any more opportunity to do that. And then we reset in the summer, and we, and we see where yeah. we're at. I totally understand that, and I'm and I'm okay with that. I kind of I feel like the team would benefit from any kind of injection of, of new face or or some competition or just something something to kind of add some positivity to the dressing room. A new a new character would would be good. Um, something to give some of the lads who play in every game a, a bit of respite as well. But um, I, I can understand why that would only be a loan and or some some small dealings of some sort. But um, the other thing Eel said, isn't it, that we might have to sell players. Um, mm. And he didn't outright say, you know, there's a big meltdown, oh, he's going to sell Bruno in January. Like, obviously he's not going to do that either. But I understand it. The, the biggest annoyance uh, to me of FFP, we, we spoke uh, last time we, we did a podcast, Craig, about the fact that the best way to beat FFP is to sell your own homegrown players and to sell Geordies and to... And yet all the clubs have to do it, but it just feels so so perverse and so wrong that the, the players you bring through, and that's one thing you have to get better at to beat FFP as well, is to bring your own players through and improve the academy and actually produce talent that doesn't cost money. I get that, and we haven't done it for so many, many years. We're so far behind everyone else in that respect. But to, to bring through a, a Lewis Miley and to think, well, the best thing for Newcastle to grow is to sell him. <laughs> It just feels mm. so wrong. So um, FFP is a big, big annoyance. I understand why it's there. We want a competitive, fair Premier League and they haven't quite got it right, in my opinion. But where where this January is going is... is it, I'm, I'm okay with whatever the outcome is. Right, if there's some sort of mental brinksmanship and we do somehow spend more money and then not fudge the books, but there's some clever mm. accounting to be done down the line and or a player sale in the summer that, that lets us do whatever we need to do now, I'd get it. But why would we do it in January? It doesn't make sense to me. So I think... We are on course for either a Calvin Phillips or not even that. And then we just see where we go with the rest of the season. And I still think, and we did caveat it earlier with the fact that it relies on some players coming back from injury. But I still think, like you, that we can have a good season, that we can go on a run because there are some sets of fixtures in this second half of the season that we can get a bit of momentum going. Whereas there was no sets of fixtures before Christmas where we could do that. There was always a couple of decent games with a Dortmund away or a PSG away in the middle of it. So we don't have that this side of Christmas. Even with the limited number of players we've got fit, we can do all right. And I think they'll they'll know that. Eddie Howe will know that and believe he can do okay with what we've got. Alex, you were talking there as a fan, almost as if you were questioning whether the Saudis and the, the, the UK-based owners were still on the same page in terms of the ambition of the club. Is that right? Was that, was that the sort of tone it detected? I think, or? I think, I think the, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not questioning them. I'm just interested yeah. in if there's a bit of a disconnect or if, if there's been a reality check. No one know the big, big, big thing that happened to them. And this is interesting in the FFP conversation because lots of defenders of FFP in the mainstream media have said, 
guys, these rules have been there for 10 years. They were mutually agreed by the Premier League. The Premier League is a serious competition. They don't just change their rules at the drop of a hat at the whim of a few clubs. Well, what the fuck happened to Newcastle <laughs> when the owners came in and the Premier League got together and said, oh, well, by the way, we're going to limit... Mm. Um, you know, owner funding or state or, or similar funding, that kind of thing. And that that clearly put a massive spanner in the works. And I think that's referenced, in fact, I'm sure I can remember it being referenced in the Amazon documentary that that was a major kick in the nuts for the plans Newcastle United had. But but it is it is interesting because, like I said to Side before, there's just there's just such been such a clear pathway of progression. You sign Alex Isak for 63 million quid, one of the best young strikers in Europe, you have to sell him something to come. You have to sell Bruno Gomares something. And maybe that's something that we don't want to think about as fans is come here and do okay for a couple of years and you might go to Real Madrid. Yeah. I doubt it. From everything that I've seen and heard from these owners of Newcastle United, I doubt it, but I could be wrong. Maybe there's more realism there from the start about FFP. Maybe maybe once they built their um, executive team, these are the guys that have come in and delivered a dose of reality to mm. to the owners and say, oh, by the way, guys, these, these plans are great. I'm on the stage. You can go on the radio after the cup final and say, we're going to win this and we're going to win that, which is great to hear as a fan. And I hope she's right. And, you know, to be fair to Stavely, massively doubted before and after the takeover and look at the results. They're there for themselves to judge. But you also, you know, we don't know why PIF bought Newcastle United. I don't think they bought them to kind of finish between ninth and sixth and no. get in and out of Europe and everything we understand about financial fair play or, or certainly we're hearing from as the conversations developed in the media this week and last week is that it is potentially near on impossible that if Liverpool and Man City, Man United are a different kettle of fish but again could be coming back into it in a big way, Arsenal and, and all of those clubs, if they just operate to an average level based on their existing turnovers and, and profit margins it is almost impossible for a club like Newcastle United to to stick in with them. And now, I'm not saying it is impossible, mm. and I don't think they're not going to. I'm still very optimistic about the future. I think we can get fifth this season. But, every, you know, if, if you're Newcastle United and you've lost 150 million quid just to qualify for the Champions League, mm. and then you're out at the first hurdle, and despite those new deals that we've talked about, and I don't know the, the figures and how much they're going to impact, um, it just... It just looks like there's, it's a real bump in the road and I'm not sure there's an easy out for the club. Could be wrong because I don't work there. I don't know the figures. Well, you used the phrase there, Alex, reality check. And I, I don't know if I said this word earlier, but last season was an illusion. There was all this talk about the top six, capital T, capital S, becoming the top seven. And Newcastle now being a member of that. I always thought they weren't. I thought what they achieved last year, and I think you know, we said this earlier, was because of Eddie Howe and because it was a victory for, for coaching, really. It wasn't anything to do with really Saudi money. Yes, there was money put in and they spent money, but they weren't spending any more than anybody else in the top six, top seven, top eight even, but they spent it well. And everything went right. You know, They got the recruitment right. They got the coaching right. They improved the players they inherited. They reunited a supporter base with, with the club. Everything went right in the, in, the, in the right direction. As soon as they got something wrong, and there's two things have gone wrong this year for me to a degree, A, recruitment and B, injuries. As soon as those challenges presented itself, there was every chance Newcastle were going to fall back in line with where they should have been all along. And probably where they should have been all along, post-Saudi takeover, wasn't for the incredible job of Eddie Howe 
is somewhere round about now. If you look at in terms of the wages, in terms of the players side, we go back to the CV of the players. In terms of the players they've actually got, it's probably where they, it's probably where they are. They've massively, massively overachieved. And I think I don't know if spoiled is the right word, Alex. I, I don't mean it in the, the negative sense, but I think supporters were spoiled to a degree. And you looked at that journey, and it was just a an expectation of these guys get everything right. Wow, isn't this brilliant? You know, they've gone from 19th and now part of the top six of the Champions League club. They're spending £63 million on Alexander Isaac. They buy Bruno Gamares for £36 million, a Brazilian national. That generally in football is the exception, not the rule. Newcastle will make an exceptional deal. They're pulling a £12 million, 30-year-old from Brighton and turning into a Champions League left-back. Teams don't do that. There was always going to come a point when Newcastle fell back in line with the ordinary expectation and norms of how football works. And that's what we've seen this year. And the challenge now is how do they go again? I don't think it's impossible. I don't think it's impossible at all. How do you, how do you get back there? Well, you get back there by Eddie Howe doing the job he did last year. You get there by incrementally improving your revenue streams. That is the challenge for them now. But I think to go back to what you said, Alex, this year has just been a massive reality check for actually where they are on that journey. And as I said at the True Faith Live event, just around the corner from here, at the very start of this, enjoy the journey. The journey is the full part. The journey is the part where they've got to get things right. The journey is the part where you've got to, you've got to be clever. You've got to beat FFP. You've got to beat everything, every hurdle in front of you. And for 18 months, incredibly, Newcastle United did that. They didn't put a foot wrong. Things have gone wrong this year. And I think with regards January, I come back to that. I think they've just got to, to look more to the summer, to, 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 to a regroup and to see in this season. Now, wherever it takes them, it will, it will take them. They won't be relegated. Wherever they finish, they finish in the go again in the summer. And they've got to learn lessons, learn massive lessons, because this year they have got things wrong. I think I just, just to develop that point about um, the... The, the illusion or the, the squad not being really a top four squad because I totally agree and I think that is part of the challenge we've got with FFP isn't it it's that I mean we, we spent two to three years telling the previous manager that they weren't relegation standard players these players were, were much yeah. better than that and I stand by that they are a really good set of lads and they were always capable of yeah, what of more yeah. than what we thought but if you look at if you look at uh, like an Aston Villa who managed to get a, a big wadge of cash for for Jack Grealish we haven't got anyone from the pre-existing squad. So mm. everything that we've spent on this team has been to have players of any value. You know, if you look, go through the 11, Martin Dubravka, no resale value. Um, Cher, no resale value, really. Lascelles, no resale value. Longstaff, maybe you might get a bit of money because he costs nothing. But, um, you know, what do we get for Shelby and Wood? Not not a lot. Um, Miggy, not more really. Than, more than the should have done. Yeah, probably. <laughs> Miggy, no resale value. Um, you know, Joe Linton, you're going to struggle to get your money back on Joe Linton, even with how well he's played. Callum Wilson, no, you know, we don't have any assets from when they took over the club that had any value to to try and help you on that FFP journey. And that's because none of those players are top four players, really. They've exceeded expectations, they've been brilliant, but it, it makes that thing even more difficult. It kind of helps me to understand the, the the transfers that seem to irk you so much in, in buying Tina Livermento and buying Lewis Hall is that, that we need players like this that are going to have some value in the future to keep that kind of train going, to keep those things taken over. It's what Man City do, it's what Chelsea do. Some of these young players have been bought with the intention of selling them on and we haven't had that yeah. luxury before now. Okay, what I'll say just quickly in response to that because Alex wants to come in, you lose more money by dropping from fourth to ninth <laughs> than you do gain money by buying Tino Livermento, who maybe I don't want to bring... Listen, the argument falls down to agree with Livermento because he's brilliant. But you get the point I make. You lose more money by dropping out of the Champions League and to, to, to mid-table, finish wherever it is, than you do by making money on mm. 
buying Lewis Hall for whatever or Tino Livermento put added value to them. For me, just quickly, the priority this year had to be to they'd somehow beaten, they'd somehow cheated all of the FFP obstacles in front of them by what they did last year, and they didn't cash in on it. For me, interesting points by you there, there Sai, about those players because it comes back to and I, th- I think this is not fair and how because I don't think anyhow dictates Newcastle United transfer policy it's certainly not a lone voice in it but there's an argument for what you're saying there but you're not going to get money for this player you're not going to get money for this player Miguel Almiron and Callum Wilson would never have been worth more than they were in the summer after the season that they'd both put in mm. um, fan favourites uh, Wilson had a decent start of the season for Newcastle, scored goals, hardly seen him since, and he hasn't played well since. Almiron has had an up and down season. I thought he played well against Manchester City, and he's he played well against Sunderland, so he's, he's kind of come back into form. But you, but in terms of, you know, if, if FFP is this impossible thing or very difficult thing for Newcastle to navigate to get where they need to be, surely then they have to be aware of that and, and, and more ruthless. Now, I have no idea mm. if anyone's going to pay you 25, 30 million for. Um, a 29-year-old Miguel Moran, but Newcastle decided to give him a new deal. Um, I've no idea whether Callum Wilson's... I mean, he must be worth something because he scores goals in the Premier mm-hmm. League. He's a one-and-two striker for Newcastle, which is, is remarkable considering the team he played in for a long time before the takeover. And he's still a good player for Newcastle now when he's fit and the team are doing okay. But I, I understand everything that you're both saying. I understand what you're saying, Craig, about everything going so well. But maybe I'm coming round to your point of view that they were lax in the summer that they needed, it needed to be, you know, the, the transfer window had, had transfer windows had gone so well, January 22, like you said, Burnwood, Target actually came in on loan and was brilliant yeah, that, yeah. The, that six months, um, and, and Bruno Gomarej. Uh, then Pope and Botman, the big ones from summer 22, mm. unbelievable signings, unbelievable value. I'm probably forgetting someone else from that, from that window, but they were absolutely fantastic. And then even Anthony Gordon last summer and getting Shelby off the wage bill and Wood getting you know money for Wood even though they lost money on him in, a, in, in just 12 months. Everything had gone perfectly so far. With the benefit of hindsight, you may be looking at last summer now thinking it wasn't just the players that they bought that potentially haven't improved the first yeah. team like they would uh, due to injury. Another reason is the fact that you've got to be ruthless and move players on yeah. um, to try yeah. it because, because that is the only way, like you said, value, to navigate especially, especially in light of what Darren Eales has just said to us last week about the need to sell players. They had three or four players last summer. And at the time that, that yes, it had been mentioned, but it wasn't being pressed home with the urgency and the ferocity with which it is now, whereby we spend an hour with Darren Eales and almost every question comes back to the need to trade. They would have known that a year ago. They would have known that 18 months, two years ago. So why, and this is us talking with hindsight, but I believe they had foresight. Why didn't they cash in last summer on two or three players at a premium? They didn't. And they found themselves where they are now. And will they try to do it again this year? Well, uh, this summer, they probably will. But as you quite rightly say, Alex, a lot of those players we mentioned have lost a hell of a lot of value on what they did have on the back of finishing, on the back of being Champions League players last year. I think a big thing fans look at as well, particularly in frustration after defeats or in second halves when the team starts to drop deeper and deeper and we can't use the benches, why did they let themselves come into a season with, with footballers who, even when things get horrifically tough, mm. they just can't trust to use? And you talk, you know, we've mentioned Hall being one of them. But, and they signed him. But yeah, <laughs> did, but Matt a question Ritchie. about Lewis Hall. I mean, I know, Craig, you may, yeah. you may or may not have an answer to this, but did Eddie Howe want Lewis Hall? Yeah, listen, Eddie wants every player. Uh, you know, Eddie ultimately gets the the say so, the yes or the no 
on, on all players who are coming in. Uh, did he want Lewis Hall? Absolutely, yes. Uh, Lewis Hall has come in and I just don't think Eddie thinks he's done enough to help himself. The most telling three or four words Eddie Howes said amidst all of the noise around Lewis Hall is, he said, it's up to Lewis. That told you everything. Basically saying that he's come in and he hasn't done what he wants him to do. Now, I think the deal, we'll let to believe the deal will, will go ahead. I think, I think Newcastle really are almost, it's factors beyond just Lewis Hall's own appearance data. I think, you know, it's 99% certain to be a Newcastle player next year. That's a problem for FFP. They've got £28 million leaving the door on July the 1st for a player who they probably don't want or don't see fitting in. So, so there's an issue. That'll be affecting this month. You know, that, that's a factor. Don't forget. So, yeah, as I said, you know, the first answer on FFP, it's, it's multi-layered. Hall is one of those factors. The failure to sell players prior to now uh, is a factor. And dropping away from perhaps where they thought or hoped they were going to be is another huge element of it. Let's talk about the rest of this season, Craig. We've kind of touched on it already, all three of us. Uh, what do you think the, the football club, let's talk, like, talk about executive and owner level, what do you think they need from this season in terms of Newcastle? Uh, league finish, FA Cup finish, anything to do with that? Well, what they, need, what they needed was to finish fifth. That's gone. Well, sorry, finish fourth, potentially finish fifth. I think the coefficient still does have uh, the English teams getting the fifth place. Uh, Newcastle have done their bit of harm that. But anyway, that's a different <laughs> story. Uh, well, it comes back to the argument we said before, Si. Uh, Alex, you know, Europa League, Conference League, good thing, bad thing, does short-term gain you know is it long-term pain really you know I, I i honestly don't know speaking selfishly as a journalist i want them in europe i'm talking through my passport there i want them to be <laughs> uh playing you know thursday i do think thursday sunday can have a detrimental effect on a on a season uh so what will what, what well the owners will want to finish as high as possible that'll be the official you know the the, the, the official word and have a and have a cup run i think it speaks for itself that is different to what is actually for the for the best of the football club really and what about Eddie Howe? Do you think, I remember, I always remember it, Eddie Howe, start of season 22-23, when he said his top 10 finish, a good finish, and he looks, I think it was Keith Downey who asked the question, I could be wrong, and he looked straight back at him and said, I guarantee you that our ambitions are far higher than mm. the top 10 finish this season. Um, how do you think, how do you think Howe views it? Obviously, yeah, wants to win every game. Do you think he just wants to finish as high as possible, get into Europe, or does he think you know what, let's just get through this season and worry about next season. Well, what he says on the record and what he really thinks are two different things, but I think he's, uh, his ambition for this season has been massively realigned in light of the, in light of how it's gone, in light of the injuries. And they find themselves in a position now where he's not, he's not daft. He'll look at it. And I think he, he will know, as much as he might say everything to the contrary, I've said this before, it, it could yet get worse before it gets better. You mentioned in these, you know, these games around the corner, they're against three teams who, who they've lost against already this season. You know, the, the, the Luton game coming up, the Bournemouth game and the, and the Forest game as well. So uh, as much as I was encouraged by, by the Manchester City game, by that performance, it was only, let's, you know, it was only 60 minutes really in isolation. I'd probably want to see far more before you, you're convinced they're going to embark on the run. You think they are, Alex? And I just think in terms of the injuries... I don't really see light at the end of the tunnel. You know, the, the, the three who've been grouped together through all of this, Anderson, Willock and Barnes, it was going to be November, then it was December, then it was January. We're now looking on one or two of them. There's actually no, no time frame on it. So 
how and why and where is it going to get better in terms of those the, the fitness issues? I really don't see it. And to that end, they're always going to be hamstrung in terms of fully turning the corner and getting back to anywhere where they were previously, even though, like I say, I will praise them for, for how they played on Saturday. Yeah, the, the, the Europa League thing and the conference thing is interesting because I was wrong earlier. I said Arsenal didn't have European football last season. They actually got the quarterfinal of the Europa League. They just played a reserve team throughout mm. that competition. And that's the... That's the thing for Newcastle is, even though they've got massive injury issues and even though they don't have a squad anywhere near as strong as Arsenal and Liverpool this season, those clubs have managed to treat the Europa League almost as a, a real secondary competition mm. to the extent, I, I couldn't, I'm a fan of those clubs, but name a single result mm. from Liverpool's Europa League campaign, but they're through to the next round almost without putting yeah, too yeah. many eggs yeah. in that basket. So if Newcastle do potentially strengthen January or have another good window in the summer, you, you could get to a stage where you Tino Livermento and your Lewis Halls are running the Europa mm. League campaign for you and Lewis Miley. But I think as a fan, you know, we're out of Europe for so long. You mm. just you just got to take any opportunity. You know, selfishly, the trips that went on this year in the Champions League, we didn't win any of the games, but incredible things to do as a football fan. And I also just feel footballers as well. I don't know about the conference, but I think the Europa League still has enough prestige mm. to win. It's also a route into the Champions League. Yeah. Directly, so I think I think you know. I don't know if Newcastle will get fifth, and you've just kind of talked me down a little bit because <laughs> you're right on the injuries, and on top of those three players, um, Drillinton's out for the season, and there's there's just you know Newcastle already needed someone to come into the midfield who could tackle and win the ball back. Now the only other bloke really in the midfield who could do it is out for the season, so they now need two of those players mm. realistically. Um, but you know, West Ham are sixth on Newcastle better than West Ham, probably. I think so. Mm. Uh, and, if, and if you're sixth, how far away are you from fifth? It, it's, they're the positive aspects for me. So what do you think rest of the season? Good good yeah. finish, bad finish? West Ham are also playing Thursday, Sunday. You know, it is possible. Um, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't really care where the season goes. We, we had such a great time last year. And if this season is a write-off, so be it. I think um, we, can, we can reset in the summer. I think Eddie Howe absolutely has the, the time and credit in the bank to be given this season as a kind of free pass. They all said at the start of the season, Eel seemed to acknowledge um, that, that, that we'd overachieved and this was going to be a really, really hard season for many, many reasons. Now FFP has become even more of a problem based on everything that's happened. And um, you've got to kind of, I, I'll take anything. I, for me, and we've talked about this all season, Craig, I'd just prioritise the FA Cup now and try and win a trophy because that's one thing that this uh, ownership can do is try and take off, win some silverware. We can finish 11th and win the FA Cup and everyone would be absolutely buzzing with that mm. because... I do agree with the conference asked. Who cares about the conference? Maybe Europa League is important for the likes of Bruno Gamaris for Sven Botman to be convinced to stick around. Um, now, you know, you might need to sell one of those players, as Eels has mentioned, but realistically, those players, and Isaac as well, obviously, um, need to be convinced that Newcastle aren't just a mid-table Premier League club. But if we could win a trophy and the feeling that would bring both the fans and the players, mm. that's where the season should be headed. And I think Fulham away should be treated as the absolute most <laughs> important fixture of the season yeah. uh, and it, we've got two weeks to prepare for it but yeah in terms of where the league finishes I, I, I'm okay with whatever it is I think as long as we find some form as long as we get some some performances out of the team in the next in the next six months um, I will also acknowledge that you're right the injuries could continue to get worse mm. because as I said earlier the bad luck begets bad luck if your bad luck as forces isn't where we were 11 players left, they keep playing, one of them's going to drop and then you, you really are in trouble. And if that mm. happens before any of the other players come back, what what next? Paul Dummett's starting in, in centre-half or, 
you know, Matt Ritchie's having to start games and then we really aren't going aren't mm. gonna to kick on. But yeah, for me, the season can be made an absolute success with an FA Cup final slack, slash win and any kind of league finish, mm. in my opinion. Just to go back to that Thursday, Sunday point, you referenced West Ham and Aston Villa making a good job of it this season. They don't have Eddie Howe as manager. And I honestly think Eddie Howe is the best Monday to Friday manager in the world. In that, if he's got a group of players Monday to Friday, I would back them to beat anybody on a Saturday. I just think the job he does in terms of preparation, making those players believe in themselves, giving them the right instruction, working on certain routines and patterns of play. We saw it last year when he had all week to work with them. They went into every weekend absolutely primed. And it was incredible. They were were marrying performances with result week on week on week. Now, this is a challenge for Eddie Howe as a coach because if he wants to be a top coach, he's going to have to get used to and he's going to have to devise a way whereby his working week is broken up and he's got to, to, to get the same level and the same performance working on a Monday and half a day on a Tuesday and on a Friday afternoon and a Saturday morning. He's going to have to do that. This season, they've, they've, of course, there's the injuries as well, but this season, they've showed that they aren't really capable of, of, of doing that. And that is why I would say next year, they might just benefit from a reset of having a full clear week Monday to Friday, especially with a manager like Eddie. Now, as I said, you know, he's got to find a way if he's going to be a Champions League manager to overcome that. So here's why I disagree with you. Um, losing football matches, Newcastle lost a lot of football matches recently. Um, there's been a lot of mitigation and the group and the fans and the club all still seem together. Yep. The more you lose and the more damaging those defeats are and the more it happens, the more questions are asked, the more people look back at transfer windows, the more people start to doubt players, manager, uh, the people that run the club. Not everyone, and I'm not saying Newcastle fans are close to turning, no, no any of that, but... I think one of the good things almost from this run of terrible form is that you haven't heard any whispers from the dressing room about unhappiness. I mean, everyone's been playing who who, who can get a game, but it hasn't been kind of the typical terrible run of form mm. within a Premier League football club where people start doubting the manager, people start leaking to the press, moles, all that kind of thing we're used to from the past. You just haven't heard any of that, and that's promising, and that kind of yep. speaks of the fact that everyone is still pulling in the same direction. I just think if you have a terrible second half of the season on top of the indifferent first half of the season, because the first half of the season there were some highs, there were some highs, you know, PSG playing in the San Siro, the mini cup run in the League Cup beating Man City. If those things aren't there and it's just more injury, fatigue, defeat, you'll see that tight bond and unity that exists in Newcastle United from boardroom to coach and staff to player to fan base you will see that, see that start to fray, in my opinion. Hope I'm wrong. but And I just feel like losing football matches is consequential. Two things. I'm not advocating we just go ahead and lose the next 12 games. I'm just saying that, you know, if we have another little bad spell amongst some good, we do need some some good good results. But, you know, I look at Mikel Arteta. Lots of people said he, he had to go and he was, he was one or two games from, from losing his job. Or so the fans would have made you believe, such was the meltdown Arsenal hands fans have over the years. But... He was given another season to reset and start without European or whatever European lower level of European football he had last year and nearly won the league. You know, they ultimately they, they, they arsenaled it and they, they didn't win it. But I, I think Eddie Howe is the same. I think you give him another season, you give him a chance to restart, he will kick us on uh, rather than letting whatever happens. Because yeah, you're right, negativity will, could breed further negativity in it and those questions get asked and then you get splits in the fan base and that's the worst thing about any of these things is when you get some fans questioning the manager and other fans not 
and then the which is already happening. Yeah, and then the, 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 the there's such a distraction from the football, and there's a distraction from getting behind the team because the ones who have questions want to be vindicated, and the ones who don't have questions are are blinded with loyalty, and it gets a bit silly. Um, such as the life of football fan. I'm, I'm so used to those conversations over the years, but there there is a risk to it going really badly, and I'm not saying it should go really badly. If we can finish between sixth and ninth and win the FA Cup that would be an unbelievable season for me that was that's the point I was making yes I was being a bit facetious and saying yeah if we finish like 12th it'd be fine because if you finish 12th you're basically on the point total we have now um so we don't want to do that but yeah I think I think whatever happens we get to the summer and start again as Craig said before yeah you know I've got to go along with that I, I would yeah and I, listen no manager can afford to keep on losing matches and every time you do now you know Eddie Howe has got this big block of goodwill in every defeat, just sort of chips, chips away, but not to any great degree. Sunderland is the one that would have taken a boulder to that. That was the one game this month he had to win. They won it, successfully negotiated it. I'd say the second biggest game from this month is Fulham. You know, even out of the next four or five fixtures, I honestly think the one he has got to win is the Fulham game to maintain a little bit of feel good, a little bit of hope. Uh, you know, if, if that goes badly wrong, that is when I think some supporters could, could turn a little bit more than what they have done. They have done already, uh, but, to all of that, I would honestly say, trust me when I think they've got a brilliant manager, uh, a brilliant man, and someone who absolutely, no matter what happens, deserves to ride out this season and go again next year. We'll leave it there. Thanks, Craig, so much for joining us. Always a pleasure. Uh, thanks to everybody who is watching and listening. Uh, you can hear Craig fairly regularly on the True Faith Patron, which there's a link to the description in this podcast. We will be back this Sunday with another free podcast on the True Faith feed. Speak to you all then. Bye-bye. This podcast is brought to you by Aspers Casino Newcastle, home of the £4 pint on match day. That's all Newcastle home games and any televised Newcastle fixture. The offer applies from midday until midnight on all draft beers. Be gamble aware, over 18s only. Visit begambleaware.org. Uh, be drink aware and for details and T's and C's, visit aspersnewcastle.co.uk. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.